and welcome back to the rewind i'm josh and this is a podcast where i watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends today's episode is about james gunn's the suicide squad and joining me today specifically because he loved the last dc movie we talked about on the podcast so much it's nick menta nick what's going on josh i want you to know that i cherish peace with all my heart and i don't care how many men women and children i need to kill to get it <laughs> oh gosh it's such it's such, a, it's such an interesting creation of a character that was um uh and, and this movie had a, a, a bunch of new ones and it's uh it's part of what i want to talk about because it's uh pretty ingenious how they they managed to do this movie uh as i said before it's uh the suicide squad is written and directed by james gunn you, you probably know him from directing and writing the guardians of the galaxy movies but he had a little bit of a brief divorce from disney over, over some you know not so nice tweets that were from very long ago and brought up in bad faith but you know he said the right things and dc scooped him up and said want to make a movie and he ended up going back to Disney, but luckily he still carved out the time to make a movie for DC and just oddly enough decided he wanted to do one on the Suicide Squad, even though in 2016 there was a Suicide Squad movie directed by David Ayer that was just like not very good. So I thought we had promised we weren't going to talk about it. Look, I mean, David Ayer would probably prefer it that way, but uh, I, I didn't watch it again yesterday for nothing. Um, oh, no. I forgot I, you subjected uh, yourself to that. I, I couldn't possibly. I, I I did it. I, I wanted to be able to like want to be able to shit on it from a place of uh, you know real authority, but uh, but uh, yeah. So James Gunn decides he's going to do this movie and has this massive cast. If you saw a trailer, you saw a lot of different familiar faces. There's a uh, and different villains he plucked from different parts of the DC world. There's a savant played by Michael Rooker, who a lot of people uh, know from the Guardians movies uh, as Yondu. There's uh, Blackguard played by Pete Davidson, who people know from you know as I heard someone say on a podcast cast yesterday he just kind of looks like a dc villain anyway in his everyday life uh there's uh, there's a peacemaker who nick already referenced played by john cena Bloodsport, played by idris elba who's a character very similar to uh the character will smith played in 2016 one which i believe was deadshot or yes, not dead yeah deadshot, deadshot. A, a character who james gunn i think decided described himself as like the worst villain in all of dc uh worse by like disquality not uh, actual uh maliciousness uh polka dot man played by uh david dasmachian tdk played by nathan fillion so a lot of really big names and you're wondering like how they're going to fit them all in here a, a shark that sounds well, a lot at like least three Sloan. of them died in the first 10 minutes is how they fit well, them in that, that yeah that's what i'm that's what i was about to get at this movie just upends your expectations a lot um and i and, and that's not even really a spoiler that nick said that because again they die like right away but i mean we're gonna spoil this movie because it's very accessible it's on hbo max I'd, anyone that wants to watch it can easily do so and kind of decide if it's going to be for them but i think you'll know pretty soon that this movie's for you because i mean it's just like it goes all out and i think that's one of the ways it really separates itself from suicide squad but yeah it, it brings in all these characters that are brought together by viola davis as amanda waller because i mean uh, it's kind of hilarious that Viola Davis is in this movie again. Uh, not this is, I mean, it's just funny because like she's just such a highly decorated actress, and that was probably like the worst reviewed movie she'd ever been in in 2016. And she they, they they got her to come back, even though she's been nominated for like two more Oscars since then. And she gets them together though because there's a um they, they she needs them to do some of the United States dirty work. They're sent to South America to the South American nation of uh, Corto Maltese. It's government's overthrown by someone that's very anti-American, and they want them to break into this old old compound that has a big kind of mysterious project in there called project starfish and delete all signs of it and i i, I can't I also forgot to mention the two returning characters from the 2016 one are uh, Joel Kinnaman's Rick Flagg and, of course, uh, Harley Quinn, played by Margot Robbie again. Nick, I, you already made your feelings on 2016 Suicide Squad. Like, um, I mean, pretty 
pretty clear, and you should, most people share that sentiment as well. Though I think you're uh, not not wrongly uh, fairly cynical about this movie when we talked about it. You said, uh, "Man, this movie doesn't deserve my time. I'm not going to go to a theater to see this." And I, I might ask you about that, but you were you, you were you were like, "Oh, don't worry about it. Like it's not going to be hard for me to watch. I'm not going to a theater. It doesn't. Uh, they haven't they haven't earned that from me. And DC probably hasn't earned that, even though they've." put out a couple better movies over the last couple of years. So I'm curious, I know you really like this movie. What was your initial reaction? And uh, when did you realize as you were watching it? Oh, wow, this might actually be something that's for me. Well, first of all, I, I, I want to mention one other character who did come back, and that was Jai Courtney's Captain Boomerang, who, uh, like so many of our fallen comrades, ate it in the first five minutes of this film. Right. Mad respect for James Gunn to get all these people just to like show up for like, you know, three lines. <laughs> um. This is a, bit, a little bit of a roller coaster, and part of it actually, I think, relates to being able to watch it from home because the first ten minutes are very much a, like a B movie with a huge blockbuster budget, but like that's not for everyone. So if you don't want to see someone's skull uh, cut in half and then slip off at a forty-five degree angle, this film might not be for you. And if you're watching at home on HBO Max, there's a good chance you're not going to get through the first 10 minutes. Whereas if you had gone to a theater, you're pot committed for two hours. You're like, eh, it seems like a lot of effort to get up and leave. So early on, I was not particularly high on this, but I would say about halfway through, it had become clear to me that I guess if we're still referring to this as the, the DC extended <clears throat> universe, um, which started with Man of Steel in 2013, it only took about an hour to maybe 90 minutes into this film for me to be absolutely certain that this is the best movie that DC had put out in that block of time. And really the third act with a massive alien starfish only confirmed that. Um, Which I can't tell if that says more about this movie just being unique and entirely sure of itself and unafraid to be I guess unafraid and and unapologetic is how I would put it, or if it's just such a negative reflection on everything that came before it. I like to think it's a little bit of both, but pleasantly surprised would be how I would describe my my reaction to this. Well, yeah, I think I like the first half more than you did. But, you know, one of the most inexplicable things about the 2016 movie is that, and as again, I watched it yesterday, it's 45 minutes into the movie before those characters are even sharing the screen together. Like it just and and I'd even thought that like the way I talked about it before, I talked about it like, oh, man, they just like took their sweet time with the getting the band together scenes and just took way too long. And I would always compare it to Ocean's Eleven and how Ocean's Eleven was like so much more efficient with that. And it's not even that those scenes where they go around and get the characters are don't actually take that long in Suicide Squad. But they are just like it's it, this dilly daddles around for so long before it actually gets them on any kind of mission. And, and imagine how long it could have been if we kept all of Jared Leto's wonderful scenes that we cut. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and, I mean, that's part of the digressions it's on. And I mean, I don't think the Jared Leto performance in and of itself is really like the problem with that. It's just like it, it probably not just the solution, Josh. No, but it just it just didn't need the Joker. Um, It, it just didn't uh, in that movie. And it was just extraneous. And they wanted the attention for having a Joker. Uh, but like I, it just, it, it, it took forever and then it, it didn't have a good villain, which I think is part of what I really respect so much about like the gall of James Gunn to be like, you know, people always complain about these movies having like CGI villains that aren't that interesting. I'm just kind of a hulking starfish. Yes. And I, and I, I, I kind of respect that he's like, and like, I like it when a movie like actually has like a legitimately good villain. I think, um, you know, I, 
they're obviously been good iterations of the Joker and the Marvel movies have some that are really good and the DC movies don't have too many of them that are good. And so I, I kind of respect that he's like, you know, I, I, I can make a good movie without even having a villain that talks at all. And part of it's just going to be because I think everything that comes before that part is so entertaining, though. I think the stuff with the starfish is like very visually inventive and interesting. Uh, so I, and, I really and credit to, to him as a scriptwriter for making me feel some sort of emotional attachment and pathos to, to a friggin' starfish at the end of this film. So you did feel something for that starfish? Well, so he, <laughs> he gets to the very end, right when he's about to die, he hits you with, I was happy floating, staring at the stars, basically being like, if you people had just left me alone, I could have been floating out there and none of this shit would have ever happened. Yeah, you know, in in certain ways, the movie like takes aim at the U.S. government in its own, which I kind of like in res- respect too. Yeah, <laughs> so I I mean like beyond uh, like Amanda Waller just like again I appreciate it by what Davis going for it. Beyond her just being like a horrible person, uh, it, it, it gets in a lot of digs in its own way. One with the way the starfish is treated, uh, a lot of the stuff Peacemaker is saying throughout uh, is like Nick already kind of mentioned in his opening little joke. Uh, it, it, so it's funny that it, it fits a lot of that stuff in there too beyond like the starfish which i guess it does talk i guess through its subjects in that way mm-hmm. so I, I i i misspoke there but yeah i uh, still maybe not the most dynamic villain but like i you know suicide squad really doesn't have a dynamic villain the enchantress is just not really well executed in that movie and it's just so it's like wow if you're not going to actually like entertain me by the way all the members of this squad interact then at least like give me some interesting action with this villain and that movie refuses to do either here like even though the 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 star the, the starfish might not be in and of itself the most interesting personality it still like looks really really cool when they're like you know in some of those fights and I, I mean, I really got a lot out of all these characters this go round because, you know, they, right from the get go, they are doing stuff. He's like, I'm going to throw you right into one of these missions and then I'll go backward. But I'm going to throw you right into it and like show you all these people. And I was like, OK, I appreciate you just like jumping headfirst in James Gunn. Like nothing in the film really has any business working or being taken seriously. And, and yet it succeeds on every level because these are frankly bottom of the barrel DC characters, which is mm-hmm. which is the entire point. Right. Like polka dot man has no business working. A, a alien starfish has no business working. A girl that controls rats but has no other discernible power. No business working. None of it does. And yet um, it is a testament. It, it's, it's aggressively nonlinear. It's aggressively violent. And yet by the end, it's in, in, it's aggressively charming is what I would put it. Like I did not expect all of if you If you take the individual parts, this should not work. And somehow he made it work, which just lets you know that it's it's incredibly strange that DC can take its most beloved characters um, and most popular characters <laughs> and fail to make any type of quality art out of them and then take the shittiest characters in the box and make the best product they've made in eight years. Um, I'm not sure who that's a testament to, but maybe just James Gunn. But um, somehow this worked in a way where they they've failed almost universally across the board. It's funny. Well, it's funny that you're saying that because you know what the you, have you seen every other movie that's come out in the DCU? Have you seen Shazam? Uh, Shazam's the only one I've missed, so uh, so I, I shouldn't speak from. Well, no, uh, I think I think that absolute... I think I, I think that I think that's the clear top two. I think it's this. And oh, Shazam. Yeah, Shazam is really good. You should watch it. It films in Philly, actually. Um, I don't oh, know okay. if it's set there, but it, it's they definitely you can tell they shoot it there. Counting all of the uh, the Snyder trilogy, I was citing Joss, uh, counting Justice League. You've got Aquaman. You've got two Wonder Women now. Um, and this this is head and shoulders above all of it. Yeah, so it's just, and I think Shazam is like 
you know, as far as like villains that people know, like or not, excuse me, just characters that people know. Shazam is right there with like honestly some of the people here. I think. I mean, uh, it's just a very off the wall one to like make a whole movie about at that point in the DCEU, and it, it it's 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 that's a delightful movie. So I mean, it it all depends, I guess, on who you empower, and you know, I think it's I think it's really cool. I mean, beyond. Well, beyond just killing those characters off at the beginning, I did, he's like constantly just like upending your expectations where stuff is going to go in this movie, and I and, and I really appreciate that. You know, you have a weak, a little character called Weasel when in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies you have uh, you have Rocket, who's just like also another rodent, and who and then you have like the first person you see in this movie is Michael Rooker, who as I mentioned before is in the Guardians movies. And you're like, oh, he's just using his guys, and then he just kills his guys. It's like yep. it, it just like I think it just like sets that it, I don't I don't even know if I want to say it gives the movie stakes because it's done in like a humorous way. But it's it, it kind of lets you know that like, oh, like you're watching like a different kind of movie and you don't know where any of this is going to go. And I think it's really important that he like w- was given the free reign. And I I read an article where he was like DC just really wanted him to make a movie and like he kind of they kind of succumbed to all of his demands. Like he said, he, he said he could have killed off Harley Quinn if he wanted to. Like he is adamant that he could have done whatever he wanted to, and they would have supported him in doing it. And I think that that makes a difference when you like bring in a guy that's that smart, and you're like, all right, well, stay out of your way and let you make something super weird. And he's like, all right, I'm gonna take you up on that. Yeah. <laughs> and then we just would have had Margot Robbie prequels because the the character and the actress are probably not going anywhere. But but it's a point taken. Um, yeah. And speaking of just actors and actresses who are hilariously overqualified for this movie, yes, you do have Margot Robbie. I can't imagine two people more overqualified for these roles than Idris Elba and Viola Davis. And and they make the whole thing sing, uh, particularly the scene between the two of them 10 minutes in. You're like, again, like I hate to go back to just stuff that has no business working, but like I can't imagine – Two more qualified actors taking a look at this script and being like, yeah, absolutely, we'll make it work. And they did. Especially because Idris Elba has had, like, a run of, like, being in blockbusters that, like, weren't exactly, like, super, super, like, memorable or great. Like, you know, he he was in, like, Hobbs and Shaw, which was, like, the you know, honestly, like, the worst of – one of the worst of all the Fast and Furious movies he was in. You and know, he got ten to pick from. Yeah. Well, you know, most – hey, most of them are good. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, like, he was in, like – pacific rim which was fine it's like he, he that guy's made a lot of money like he doesn't need to like venture into this and he and he and he could be doing more prestigious stuff and he like obviously saw something that he really liked it. and i kind of already said i was in disbelief that viola davis was still still spending more time doing this um and and yeah like there I, I i don't know if like because i i'm not i'm not i promise i'm not going to keep like just being like but suicide squad this 2016 won that but like i was like i don't know why like she would come agree to be in this again and it was like you know maybe they're just gonna like make her a more like well shaded nuanced character it's like no we're just gonna make her the worst and she did a really good job at doing that and just being like awful and i was like and it, it, it you know, there's like a whole arc in this movie that happens within that office which is pretty funny actually right um <clears throat> where do you stand on john cena's acting performance i will say this as uh as someone who has watched him in a wrestling ring for the last 15 years but who has not seen fast and furious 9 so this is my first extended look at john cena in a film where do you stand on this your first extended look at john cena in any film i think so what else am i missing okay well the first time i ever saw john cena was in the marine which i think was like one okay, of his first I did not into watch acting. Any of the marine films i don't know if there was more than one i watched the one that came out in like 2006 when i was in high school and like he i didn't have also done a film called 12 rounds but i can't be sure that sounds like it might be right but like i don't think i saw anything with john cena for like you know i don't know maybe like uh, like at least five or six like at least seven or eight years after the marine probably and he is a actually legitimately good comedic actor yes and he is. 
the really big problem is that like a lot of uh, a, a lot of directors want to make him like serious man because he's a big hulking dude and i it, it's it, and that was my take when i saw f9 it was just like let john cena be funny because he's not funny in that movie he's just there to be like super serious uh, somewhat of a villain guy and it's not that interesting it was the same and i and people that listen to that podcast are already heard me say this but in 2018's bumblebee uh, which, in my opinion, is like probably one of the two best Transformers movies. Not that I saw the last three, but like it's a legitimately good movie. He's just there as a super serious military guy, and it's like the worst part of the movie. Mm-hmm. But if you ever, if, if you want to like, if you liked him in this movie and you want to see him do stuff that's funny, go watch Trainwreck. He has a he has a cameo in Trainwreck. Not I want more right. than a cameo in Trainwreck. He's in Trainwreck as one of the guys Amy Sch- Schumer hooks up with, and it's funny because he's a big guy that looks like John Cena, and then he gets feelings for her when she doesn't, and he's just like in his feelings, and it's like just hilarious to watch this guy like just being like oh, oh just a little bit of a, a, a sob story, and he's he's in Sisters, which is the you know the comedy with Amy Poehler and Tina Fey, That's plays right. a guy that plays a guy that Tina Fey hooks up with, and is just like dead serious, but like in an over the top serious way because he's playing against these people that are funny, so it's played for laughs where he's like. Uh, tells Tina Fey like like the ho- totally straight face. Uh, my safe word is keep going or something like that. And it's just like I I I've never forget that. I'll never forget that line. He just delivers it in like the most hilarious straight way. And he, so he did that, and he was in Blockers. He played one of the dads in Blockers, which is okay. an amazing comedy from two, in 2018. And he I can't I can't tell you a movie where I've been like yes I love serious action dudes on Gina, but like John Cena as like a funny guy. Yeah yes give me more of that. And he and I thought he and Idris had good chemistry too. You know, uh, they did. I, I love just the fact that, like, I mean, my, my chief experience with him is him through his wrestling characters. So to see him, like, really prove his comedy chops is like a very distorted, satirical, through the looking glass version of the kind of persona he's been, like, occupying for the last 15 years. Right. So I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, right. So I'm not a wrestling guy. So in, in, I'm he's not a wrestling like a guy. So super in, self serious, overly patriotic humorless person oh. <laughs> who you're supposed to root for because he believes he's the good guy oh. which is functionally what he's doing what here he's doing here yeah. <laughs> except he's in on the joke <laughs> in a way that because wrestling is scripted and written by one person named vince mcmahon we're not going to get into it like it's it's really funny that he's basically playing the character he's already played for 15 years except this time he gets to be in on the joke mm-hmm. and gets to make it himself and and obviously, as you mentioned before, like, yes, there's there's a lot of digs at, at you know, U.S. foreign policy in this or just particularly, I guess, I guess right wing militarism. But he's got another line in addition to the one I opened with keeping the peace is worth any price, which it's just, you know, took me back to the Bush Cheney years. Um, which yeah, is there's, like, the, there's no one likes to show off unless what they're showing off is dope as fuck. There you go. <laughs> and, 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 and Idris is like. God damn it, that's true. <laughs> and like, I, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's it's a it's a great creation of a character. Again, I'm I'm not a comics reader, so I didn't really have points of reference for these guys. And I'm sure uh, James Gunn, though I'm sure he put their really own spin on them. It's funny that he like uh, just found a way to you know just drop all of them off here and like uh, just make them work really well together. And Peacemaker was, I mean, just I guess a stand. I, I I liked Idris in the movie too. You know, I'm again I'm a I'm a fan of Idris and overall I would say, but like it's just you know he's just popped up like I said in so many blockbusters over the years that i'm like a little i, I kind of just want to see him do something different so i was like oh, i don't know if this is gonna be that interesting when i see him in there and i 
I, I thought it was for being kind of like the straight man there along with flag. Like I, 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 I still, I, I felt like I was getting more out of him than I expected to, but at the same time, he's, you know, it's not the showiest of the performances because you have peacemaker there and then you have all these really colorful supporting characters. But I mean, this, but the his whole, is the central arc. He, yeah. He yeah. He has a daughter film. and stuff. Yeah. 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 But like the, the you know, so he's serious a lot, but like, I mean, the sequence where they like accidentally like kill all the resistance fighters, uh, was just like, I, it, he, he was getting to have a little fun there in a different way than maybe he's showing the rest of this movie. So I enjoyed seeing him in that mode too, as like kind of like darkly horrible as that whole thing turned out to be. <laughs> him and senior are basically playing two straight men against each other as opposed to like, and, and it, and it kind of works, right? They're both playing it straight. They're both being flat. They're both deadpanning it. And they're just trying to out deadpan one another. Right. Well, but like, but Cena like has the whole thing going on where like that again. That character is like a whole joke about like you know U.S. foreign policy to begin with. Yeah. Whereas Cena is just like he's just, or whereas Idris is just like he's he's the hitman. Uh, right. So I mean, he gets off like like the funny lines you've already like you've already kind of gone through, and then just them even accidentally doing all that killing is like its own its own thing in and of itself. But I I think like it's cool seeing them interact there, even though they obviously end up kind of like on on opposite sides of the. Uh, of the of the the different aims towards the towards the end of the movie a little bit uh as well with when when peacemaker ends up kind of at odds with flag and they're, they're kind of put up put up put opposite each other there but like a scene like that though where they're just like working their way through it and then basically everything up through that third act before they go into jotunheim like i just thought that they did a really good job with like you know making sure the characters not only had that time in that restaurant but had that time on that bus too because mm-hmm. you know it, it, it sounds like an obvious thing you should be doing in an ensemble, but, you know, I think sometimes movies forget to do that, and they kind of, like, tell you that these people are friends without actually showing it. Uh, there is a there is a line towards the end of the uh, – towards the end of 2016 Suicide Squad where Diablo, the character uh, played by Jay Hernandez that reluctantly shoots fire, he says – he, he he says at one point right before he actually kind of like gets in the game he says i lost one family i'm not going to lose another one and i don't think a movie has ever earned a line less like i was like <laughs> I, 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 I i was just like wait do these people like each other yeah. and like i kind of understood why these people liked each other while at the same time it didn't like well, other people made this point but it didn't go over the top to like try and like also turn them into good guys or anything like that but you like yeah. understood why they might care for one another uh, including King Shark, who's just just out to find some friends at the end of the day. I loved every minute of King Shark. Um, I loved the fact that he was voiced by Sylvester Stallone. And the only thing that this movie didn't have that I was desperate for was for King Shark to try to barter for somebody and ask them 10 bucks. How about eight bucks? Because I would have absolutely lost my mind. Wait, is that, is that a is, is that, that wait, is that is a Rocky one reference? But oh, that is okay. a really deep Rocky one reference. Yeah, I don't even I can't tell you. I, I guess it might have been since like. Over three years since I watched Rocky One, I feel like I probably rewatched it before we talked about Creed Two. Um, you go ice skating. The guy tries to charge him ten bucks, and now I literally can't uh, have interaction in my life where somebody tries to charge me ten bucks for anything without me responding. Ten bucks? How about? <laughs> I feel like the, who knows if I if I were to go watch some like old Sylvester Stallone stuff because I I can't say I've seen a lot of like his you know uh, lower level action flicks. Uh, from the 80s and stuff i feel like but like i know james gunn is a fan of those movies so who knows maybe there might have been a couple references in there but maybe not because king shark doesn't say that much but when he said something every time i laughed i just couldn't help it like i every time he ate someone i laughed every time he said a word you could laugh every time he like you know uh just like lumbered off in the wrong direction without any explanation i laughed 
if this movie wasn't as good, if he didn't, if, if these characters weren't drawn as specifically as they were, it would have felt like more of a ripoff of the Guardians movies than they did, you know, because like, like, I, I mean, I already mentioned like the rodent and stuff, but like it, the, the, in theory that like, yeah, that shark is kind of accomplishing what Groot does in the Guardians movies, but it, it, I, I did not care. I didn't really think about that as I was watching it. I was like, this is just hilarious, and I can't imagine anyone like other than Sly voicing him. Apparently, they did work some other people out. Uh, it sounded like he had difficulty settling on somebody before they got to Stallone. Yeah, and well, apparently he's friends with Stallone. Stallone is briefly in uh, Guardians too, uh, but for some reason, like they, they wanted backups and they tried other people out, and like they're like, no, we need you to do this, Sly. Like this is you, and he's like, all right, cool, I got it. Uh, and, and it was great. Uh, how big of a fan are you of like Harley Quinn, this incarnation of Harley Quinn? And what did you think about what they did with her here? Um, I'm a fan of Margot Robbie in this role. I think she she does really well with it. In fact, as much as I hated Suicide Squad in 2016, at least I could look at that and go, that's the part that they got right. I wasn't blown away by Birds of Prey. Um, it was competent, which was a step up from <laughs> what everything has come before um she continues to be good in the role and i was actually fairly impressed and i think it speaks to what you mentioned earlier about gun having free reign to do what he wanted that while harley was you know a pretty substantial part of the movie she just felt like part of the ensemble and not the star when i think in in different hands or with more perhaps studio direction it's really her movie in a way that it's not here. Like this movie uh, is much more about Idris Elba's blood sport. It's got a lot of seeing his peacemaker in it. It feels like everybody gets an equal amount of screen time or at least enough people do. Um, and that includes Harley. So like you've got a massive star in Margot Robbie, but it does not, the film does not go out of its way to put the spotlight strictly on her. Yeah, they give her her own wing of the movie kind of for a little bit where she's not really with the ensemble. And the, the the sequence where – what I learned right before we started recording, the sequence where she escapes from the holding cell, she did that stunt herself, which is pretty cool, where she like choked the guy out with her legs. And she actually like grabbed the keys with her foot and got it into the key the keychain, well, which is like – pretty impressive <laughs> yeah i i i, I and, and and like when she's like kind of bringing the keychain up to her like part of like a ribbon she's wearing on her arm is blocking her face so uh gun was like oh man i wish that hadn't been there but if you look closely you can tell it's her so i mean that was impressive in and of itself but like after she even gets out like she just takes out this whole building of people and like is a very well executed action scene and i really enjoyed it and and even though she hadn't really been with much of that ensemble before, like as soon as like it's like a little it's a hilarious sequence of events where they think they've like sprung this whole plan to like go get her out. And then she just pops up right behind them and she's like, oh, you guys came to rescue me. And like, it felt like she was already a part of the crew. Like it just like it kind of you know, those characters well enough and you know her well enough that like, you know, that that was how she would react to them. And it's like a cool moment where it's like they're perplexed, but she's actually kind of happy in touch. And I was like, oh, man, like I it's really fun that you now you're like kind of part of the group again. And I liked it like. Again, they gave her like a part of the movie to shine where she's on her own. But I really like Margot Robbie herself being like willing to just like sign up for an ensemble thing like that again. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's become an even bigger star since she was in the first movie. Like at that point, like I don't think we had really seen her in a whole lot besides like uh, Wolf of Wall Street focus, that Will Smith movie. And like for me, maybe just that Tina Fey movie, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, uh, where she like had a supporting role. That was like all she had done. So since Suicide Squad has come out, she is like been nominated for two Oscars. 
She had her own movie like revolving directly around her. So it's kind of cool that she's like willing to just like come back and be part of an ensemble like that and really fit right in. She was hilarious in the sequence where they're actually are escaping from Jotunheim and they have the whole entire exchange about Milton the bus driver that somehow Correct. ended up on the thing. <laughs> and she's like just yelling back at them. I I don't remember Milton. And they're like, Milton right there. Look at the dead guy right there. She's like, oh, him. Like, is, is this stuff? No, it was a Milton. Yeah. It was a very James Gunn uh, sequence, but like it was hilarious, and I and I liked I liked how Harley just kind of fit in with the group at that point, where she really hadn't been with them for like that much of the movie. Considering she's gone through what three directors and probably three different writing staffs in this role, I hope I'm correct about that last mm-hmm. part. Um, I give her a lot of credit for nailing sort of the ethos of the character and the way she does, because like on the one hand. <clears throat> It feels like she is there's not a lot to draw from. I should start there. Like this is a character that was created in the early 90s um, and she's the first person to to do it in live action. So from a live action perspective, there's not a lot to draw on here. And so in like 50 percent of this role is her getting it exactly right in terms of what a Batman fan would expect from this character. And the other 50 percent is her making it up and expanding the character and still being dead on the whole time. So credit to her. And it's it's weird to me that like you can have a film that's as bad as Suicide Squad was, the original, and still have her get everything right. I know I keep going back to that, but oh, yeah, it, I, it, I it was, she was the best part of it for, for taking something that did not exist in live action and really kind of nailing it as a first pass. I didn't realize she wasn't in the comics before the 90s. She was created for the Batman cartoon uh, in in the early 90s. So Batman, the animated series. And she was. It's created by a writer named Paul Dini as just a one-off to be like Joker's girlfriend slash a henchman in one episode and just kind of stuck around and kept getting bigger and kept getting more important. Um, but that's really where it came from. She was just like a one-off afterthought in an episode where like, we'll give Joker a girlfriend and we'll dress her up in cloud makeup too. And, and here we are now uh, almost 30 years later. I, I have not watched the animated HBO series that's been that's new to, in the last couple of years with uh, Kaylee Cuoco voicing her, uh, but it, apparently it's like very well re- received. And so yes. I'm, and it's very if you like if you like Suicide Squad this this James Gunn version you would mm-hmm. really love Harley Quinn because it's very much the same brand of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, it's animated, um, but it's it's the exact same brand of humor. And like for all the reasons somebody might like King Shark in this movie, you'll love. Uh, an admittedly different version of King Shark in, in Harley Quinn, but like all that same humor is there. Um, that's actually my favorite iteration of Bane in any medium. Uh, really? I find Bane hilarious in that show. Uh, he just always threatens to blow things up. Like it's basically uh, a rib on Tom Hardy's Bane in Dark Knight Rises, where every time he gets sad, he just sort of like mutters to himself about how he's going to go blow something up. <laughs> um, <laughs> So if, if you like this movie, uh, I would highly recommend checking out that show that's now on HBO Max, as Josh mentioned, because it's very much um, in the same vein with the same sort of brand of humor. That's good to know. I didn't I mean, I, I, I'd heard like anecdotally it was good from like TV writers and stuff, but I actually hadn't really talked to anyone personally one on one that liked it. So it's cool to hear that uh, you like that, too. I, I, I want to ask you a little more about the ending. We kind of already talked about it. But so what are you thinking? Like I can, now I'm trying to remember, I don't think we'd actually seen 
that like we they had shown some like archival footage of the starfish at that point, but like I don't think you're actually you don't actually know how freaking big it got right. until like in, until that moment actually towards the back half of the movie where it just um where it like just goes after uh the the thinker Peter Capaldi character. It's like oh it just pops up there uh, kind of in the back of that display. It's like oh no this thing is actually like kind of massive and. You know, I, the visual of it just being like a massive starfish standing there as the villain, like it's, it's like well, I'm, I'm watching like a massive like comic book movie and like this is the this is the big bad. It, it's 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 kind of hilarious in and of itself, but it's like actually like fairly menacing in its own way too. So I know we kind of like touched on it at the beginning and you were impressed that like there was any level of pathos there at all, but like what what also really worked for you about that because it's like certainly unconventional from like just any other kind of movie. We, we've seen in the last 20 years of any other superhero comic book movie. Um, I tend to be kind of bored by CGI at this, at this point. Right. Um, here's how I'd put it. And I think this is why the film succeeded. So, uh, so in such a big way with me, I get bored by action. Okay. And I get bored by CGI. This is a movie that has a lot of action and is over the top in its violence. And it features a climax with a massive, cgi starfish i on paper i would hate both of those things and yet it all works here um it looked good let's start there like there's sometimes that cgi just doesn't look particularly good see the first justice league film by uh, by joss whedon where Mm. steppelwolf looked awful this is a massive starfish that looks friggin great um so it's convincing in a way that has no business being convincing i appreciated the absurdity of it I thought it helped that, that there was still some sort of ground element to it where there are people running around because they just have starfishes on their face, but you're not dealing strictly with CGI, right? It's sort of half CGI and half people running around with the starfish on their face, as weird as that is to describe. But then they, then you add in a couple million CGI rats. Right, and a couple million CGI rats. And yeah, again, something else that shouldn't work. I think what was funny, and I hate to go back to Suicide Squad again, but... I think it's interesting that Joel Kinnaman basically says that he admitted in an interview, and I think it was with The Hollywood Reporter this week, where he basically said, I started over on my role. Even though he was one of what, only three people in this film that was in the original, he basically treated this film like he had never been in in a Suicide Squad film before or that he had played this character before. I think that's no work. Yeah, and I, you know, it's... You know, so I had a really negative opinion of Joel Kinnaman about five years ago. Uh, This came out. I I, I stopped watching House of Cards, I think, after like whatever season he was in. Not even necessarily because of his character, though. He played like the the Republican candidate for president in one of the seasons of it and was just like a very dull, boring, dry performance. And I was like, oh, that's that forgettable guy from Suicide Squad. And there's just like, you know, just wasn't much there. And I just earlier this year, I started watching For All Mankind on Apple TV Plus. Uh, which is the uh, I hear is very good. Yeah, it, it's like the second season's like even better than the first. But like the um, and that that was what got me to start watching because the first aired in like 2019 or tw- something into 2019 around the time it launched. And um, and I was like, all right, fine, I'll try this thing. And he's like the lead in it, and he's actually pretty good. I was like, oh, maybe there's a little more to this guy than just some like you know stoic white dude actor. 
Uh, and so again, I, I watched Suicide Squad again yesterday, and like I'm not like as down on him the whole time because I know he has more in him. But then I, I watched this, and it's like you're right in that like it's noteworthy that he did it because I think he did it in like subtle ways. You know, he's it, it, it feels like the same guy. I I think like I it'd be weird if like it was like if he was a totally different person if I watched these movies one day after the other. But like it certainly feels tweaked in that the guy just has a little more personality. He's a little more charming, and I guess it might help that like he's like supposed to be old friends kind of with Bloodsport and mm-hmm. uh but like the, even when they come upon him at, after they've gone on their like murdering spree and he's just hanging out with the one other resistance person he's just like kind of joking around with her and like you could just feel that he has like a slightly different vibe to him and it's like and I, I think he probably gets even more credit for that than James Gunn because he's not the one getting all the jokes off necessarily like and maybe benefiting as much from like James James Gunn's quippy writing but like it did no, feel he probably a little different. Shows the least personality of anybody in the film. But it, but it's but it's but it still feels modulated differently, which I right. really thought was impressive. Yeah, and I wouldn't have noticed. I was just sort of doing some reading about the film and and came across that and like had before I watched you, before, the film, b- b- oh, before you saw it. Yeah, uh, okay, well, yeah, it was after I saw it. So I oh, watched. Okay. The movie oh, okay. and I didn't think anything of it. I didn't sit here and go like, "Oh, Kinnaman really feels like he's made an effort to make a left turn on this." I wouldn't have noticed it at all. And then just to come across that and to be like, whether you noticed it or not, that that is how I was approaching it. I thought was noteworthy. So it seems like, other than uh, probably David Ayer and Jared Leto and Zack Snyder, we've all moved on from what happened in 2016. Right. I guess uh, last couple things before we like wrap up. Did you have any thought, any feelings on Polka Dot Man aside from him being bizarre? It's very impressive that he went there, but like it's not just the fact that he shoots Polka Dots, but like they really give him his own like really big backstory with respect to his mom. And then that leads to a lot of uh, different CGI choices. Was, Was that something that like where you were like, oh, well, I don't normally like CGI, but at least they're being like super weird about it here. It's definitely the darkest parts of the film, without mm-hmm. question, because because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a weird film across the board. But like that most specifically gets into someone who's basically like, yeah, I, I was, you know, really effed up as a kid. That basically was like it's an extended abuse joke for, for the majority <laughs> of the film. And then uh, I, I mean, we've done spoilers anyway, only for the guy at the end to get what, like a half a second of realizing, oh, I really did become a superhero before he gets squashed by the you know billion pound leg of an alien starfish um and that's that's his fate so really his is like the darkest arc of the film uh and and the weirdest part of what is on its own an incredibly weird film yeah and they let him be like it's i mean i guess it's kind of perfunctory it's like all right now you give your backstory and they did did the same thing with rat catcher who i like that actress too um and it's very bizarre that like taika watiti has a cameo as her dad uh just because like he's he's definitely more tied to like the marvel operation at this point too so it's funny he kind of uh worked his way into there though i I guess he has some kind of friendship with james gunn because you know i think the thor and guardians are going to be kind of tied going forward i liked her and she kind of like talks a little bit about like why the rats mean stuff to her but like it's it's certainly like not as like darkly memorable as the stuff uh with polka dot man and i was like i I wasn't sure what to make of that guy at first even after the first time he shoots them and i'm like 
I mean, it's not like, you know, some of these superhero movies can be like super bloated, you know, like, you know, they can be two hours, 40 minutes or whatever. And this thing gets in and out in like two hours and 10. And like, it's just like crazy. They're going that far down the bench and still like giving them like, you know, plenty of stuff to like plenty of stuff to chew on for even someone that seems as insignificant as him. And like I, I just wanted to like kind of shout that part of it out because like, you know, I wouldn't really fault the movie too much if that guy was treated as more of a joke because it'd still be pretty damn funny just to watch like polka dots burn shit up. But I think it's fun that funny that like, james gunn does find like enough time for like him to like be his own guy until he you know meets the untimely demise that nick already mentioned <laughs> i think the point about the runtime is well taken because um these things can be bloated but it this very much to your point shows that you can accomplish an insane amount of stuff in two hours and 15 minutes yeah well it's in the 2016 one like it, to i guess to its credit i mean who knows how long the the cut that david Ayer has been bitching about the last three weeks that never saw the light of day was. <laughs> yeah I, I don't know if he's gonna get the snyder treatment i, I doubt it because especially since this one was so good like why why would they go back to that well but like you know that that one also wasn't that long but like you know so it's like but i i feel like it's kind of a fair thing to point out that like look you if if, if your cut was like 20 minutes longer i mean that's not necessarily the answer because james gunn did a movie that was about the same length and you know had had to introduce like a bunch of new characters and like you know gave them a lot more uh interesting uh stories than like what the what 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 the prior movie did so just like really impressed that he found a way to like service all these people because they, they were so entertaining and quirky enough on their own that it would have been fun just to like laugh at them as side jokes and really the only one that you could really ultimately say that about out of, out of the characters that were there the whole time was shark king but like mm-hmm. still um if incredible incredible to have that guy around regardless nick is there any are there any other corners of this movie that we did not touch on yet that uh you wanted to address before we wrapped up uh i really enjoyed uh, him playing hay by the pixies as they're marching into battle at jodenheim that mm. excited me just because i happen to love that band love that song um and i feel like every director should at least once get to do that kind of slow-mo shot where you just get to pick whatever song you've always wanted to do so i guess that's what james gunn landed on and that was fine with me also, um, I thought the fight scene that was filmed uh, basically inside Peacemaker's helmet was pretty inventive. Again, like as somebody who's like, oh, I tend to be bored by like action sequences, particularly in superhero movies. Uh, this film kept my interest with the different ways they were able to shoot these things. Um, and that was just one uh, I thought particularly nice touch in terms of like, oh, that's that's a much different way to, to film something in, in, some, in a way I wasn't expecting. Wait, is that is that now? Now I'm like forgetting somehow. Is that the one that's at the end, kind of? That's towards the end. I want to. I should take a better notes. I want to say that's when uh, Peacemaker is fighting Flag. But but either way, that's what uh, I thought. Okay, the, okay. The yeah. helmet is off, and the camera is just fixated on the helmet, and you're getting the reflection of the fight through the helmet. Oh, oh, right, 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 right. No, I, I got uh, before. I think that's like before the big explosion, kind of. Uh, I think. God, now, now I feel bad. I missed that. I just watched the movie last night. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I had that thought too, even if I didn't note that one down. It's like, you know, I, I think a lot of these, uh, you know, a lot of these movies, like the superhero movies, they get kind of criticized at the ends for like a lot of them, like, you know, kind of devolving into something that feels similar in I, it's not an unfair criticism, even though I like like I like most of the Marvel movies and I've liked a few of the other DC ones. And I think this is kind of found a way to avoid that, like one by like just being so visually invented between the rats and the starfish. But two, uh, you know, 
I, I think you can think of a lot of different distinct ways they did the fight. I think the way they the way they shot that uh, scene where they you know uh, killed all the resistance fighters like that felt kind of interesting with how it was just kind of like uh, going back and forth between between Bloodsport and Peacemaker or like we already talked about Harley's big scene and I. And, and I know you didn't like that opening as much, but it was it was kind of funny and memorable just because of like what it did with all those characters. Like it, yes. all of it, all, all of its set pieces uh, found a way to be kind of distinct in their own way and didn't feel like your traditional like superpowers going up against a CGI thing type of thing going on like even like how they eventually took out the starfish uh, with like Harley jumping into the eye of it that felt like a unique like you know. Uh, image of her diving in like that like that's something that was cool like if you're gonna have something that's big in cgi take it out in an interesting way aside from like people like shooting beams of shoot shit at it you know i mean completely agree um but yeah i i'd say we like both uh it sounds like we both really recommend this uh it's interesting they're gonna be we're gonna be doing a uh they're gonna apparently they've already shot the peacemaker series that john cena is gonna be in which so, I wasn't aware of until like a week ago. Um, but now having watched this, I'm certainly excited to watch more of it and, and we'll we'll happily think, spend as many hours as I'm allotted on HBO Max. Yeah, and apparently like uh like what's what's his name? Um James Gunn's actually gonna be like really involved in that. Like he's not just like executive producer putting his name on it type of thing. Like he wrote a lot of the episodes of it and directed like a handful of them too. Um I maybe he wrote all of them and directed like half of them or something. So I and I and I had heard something about it, but like I didn't know anything about Peacemaker. I mm-hmm. uh I I I had seen like I just seen like, oh, John Cena's Suicide Squad character is getting its own series. I'm like, wow, HBO Max is just like they just need a lot of content, I guess. Like I did not, I didn't really like put up past too much judgment on it, but now I'm, I'm genuinely pretty curious because, you know, we, we already talked about him, but I, that's the one thing I want to, I, I want to wrap up on, I guess, was like, I thought that was an interesting turn that it did take at the end beyond the starfish thing that like it had that showdown between him and flag, you know, mm-hmm. like the, again, I had enjoyed the chemistry with all the actors. It seemed like they were kind of aligned. So I thought it was an interesting choice. It wasn't super like, I want to say out of character or anything, but it was interesting that like that late in the game, it just kind of has their aims diverge. And I, I and I knew he was going to survive. So I, I, because I knew about the series, but I was like, Oh wow. It's interesting that like, I know they're going to make a series about this guy and they're not making a choice to try and make him like super likable in advance of that, which I just thought was a very interesting uh, way to go about it. I suppose. I think that's the draw of the character, and we talked about this a little bit early on. I mean, he's not particularly likable in in any way. Like, yes, he goes from being sort of satire to being a full-blown villain at the end. Um, But a lot of this stuff operates in a gray space anyway, so, like, as long as he's compelling doing it, that's fine. I mean, we see more and more um, pieces of content that are built around whether it's anti-heroes or outright villains these days, so I don't... I don't think it's a problem. You basically just have to be like charismatic and charming and you can be as shitty as you want. Yeah. I, I mean, I, we, we got like, we got some villain origin story movies in some ways. I'm trying to think of like a show that's like, not like your stereotypical, like white guy, anti-hero show where it's like, you're just like, no, this whole thing is about like this bad dude. Um, right. I feel like which, which this whole movie is, I mean, as I'm, as I'm pointing that out, I mean, this is, that's the point of the suicide squad. You just take all your B level villains and shove them together and suddenly they're your protagonists. Yeah. So very interesting to see how James Gunn continues to like develop that character. And I just wanted to point that out before we wrapped up that I, I kind of liked the choice to like, you know, like I said, I didn't think they really sold out any of these characters and made him too, 
to like Rosie uh, at any point to like try and like hold the audience's hand. But like I could have seen there being some kind of in, like uh, inclination to do that once you're like actually wrapping the movie up and kind of turning some of these people into like somewhat of heroes, at least just for the sake of this movie and uh, getting them out of prison. But uh, that I knew they were going to do a show about this guy and they're like, nope, we're doubling down. I I respected. So um, before uh, we yeah. get out, Josh, I do yeah. want to extend my sympathies to the. Uh... Uh, the fine people of Corto Maltese, who now in fiction have had uh, a giant starfish who was brought there by the United States government, ravaged their island. Uh, and also in the very first uh, appearance of, Col- of Corto Maltese in fiction, they had a nuclear weapon shot at them by President Ronald Reagan in The Dark Knight Returns. That's true. Uh, well, we're we're about to record an episode on Batman 18, 1989. I'm not exactly sure when it's going to air, but they, you know, they actually it actually pops up in there as part of Vicky's portfolio. The magazine cover from Vicky Vale. That's correct. Yeah. So I, I so I, I I watched that Batman 89 like last week before I'd seen the Suicide Squad, so it didn't even mean anything. And then I rewatched part of it today. I was like, oh. This thing is actually it's like it pop, pops up at a couple other places. So I guess, it, you know, that might have been, a, I guess, the first reference to it, I suppose, in the 89 one. But it, I, I did not know that they had some other like there was some other canon out there as far as them being uh, victims of some stuff beyond just like a bad dictators, which is, I mean, uh, bad, bad, bad enough as it is. Um, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns is is a seminal Batman comic book, and I believe he invented the island for that. And uh, yes. So it's the it's the site of a standoff between the uh, the United States and, and the Soviet Union. It's very much like a Cuban Missile Crisis situation, except mm. President Reagan decides to handle it by uh, launching a nuke. And then Superman has to stop the nuke. And it's a, it's a whole thing. But the poor people of Corto Maltese, Josh. Is Gosh, they, they, they have had it like super, super rough. Like it's like, I mean, I God, it's, I part goes out to them. Uh, Nick, any anything you want to plug before we sign off? Uh, things you've been watching, social media, anything like that? Uh, I've been watching Downton Abbey for the first time, and it's actually very good. Interesting. Uh, just uh, just started Cocaine Cowboys, although it's it's not that long, so I shouldn't say I just started. I'm probably uh, three fourths of the way through Cocaine Cowboys, the uh, the Billy, Billy Corbin, Corbin documentary. Yes, oh, okay. so on Netflix. Um, which I'll say starts a little bit slow, but by the time the, these two guys get arrested and then the trial starts to unfold, uh, it's it's some wild stuff. And it's uh, I highly recommend it for me. Aside from having watched The U, I feel like I need to familiarize myself with his stuff more now that I've been a South Florida resident for five years. I, I mean, I I because I, 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 I think that's probably all I'd watched. And I know he like knows this area very well. I, um, the I documentary heard him- he did on the 2000 election in Florida that is uh, while, while we're talking about HBO Max content here. Um, oh, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Do I really want to go live in that time, though? Like that just seems like such a sad ending to the story, you know? Uh, well, <laughs> well, we we do know how it ends, unfortunately, but yeah. uh, it it really traces how Florida got to that point. It, you know, it starts starts out with the the Ilya and Gonzalez situation, and basically takes takes a look at um, Cuban politics in South Florida and how this thing that seems hyper local really has all these national impacts and. Uh, just just really takes you sort of like A to Z on what happened in Florida in 2000. So yeah. uh, not a fun watch, but certainly a good time. These counties here still don't know how to put their ballots together as of 2018. Um, the floor of Chad is Chad, Josh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, a couple of good recommendations from Nick there. I am 
fairly recommendationed out uh, just from what I've been doing recently, though I would say I, I'm caught up on White Lotus, which I'm going to be watching the new, new episode of that's about the air as we're talking right now tomorrow morning. Uh, I don't know if I talked about on that here yet. It's very good. I, uh, I I would encourage people to check that out because I think it's only six episodes total, and at, as of the time people are listening to this, it'll I think it'll have it'll have aired its finale. So uh, people should I think people should check that out. It's like just you know if you like the typical HBO Sunday Night Fair, I think it'll be for you. Uh, as usual, I'm uh, Josh Jernavoy, J O S H J U R N O V O I on Twitter and Letterbox uh, podcast. Twitter is at the Rewind Movie Pod. Podcast email is rewindmoviepod at gmail.com. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, thanks. Thanks to Nick for joining, and we'll see you next time.